0: All right, folks. Well, welcome to investing for beginners podcast. Tonight we have episode 186. We're going to return to answering some great listener questions. We got three fantastic ones that we're going to go ahead and answer for you guys tonight. So I'm going to go ahead and read the first one and then Andrew and I will do our usual give and take. So here we go. Ben here from the UK, London. First off, great podcast from yourself and Dave. Top stuff. And it's my daily routine of listening to and from work every day. My question as a new investor, basically, I've jumped the gun, so to speak. I've begun investing as I've been learning only to realize that I have not done anywhere near enough research on the companies. I have kept my portfolio diverse, but I have basically just bought a lot of companies that have been hit hard because of COVID. Luckily, within the time frame that I've been investing around a month or so, my portfolio is up around six to eight percent, mainly because of Tesla, LOL. <laughs> uh, but I'd say that it was around a 50-50 split on the companies either in the green or red. So what I'm wondering is, would you think on keep, uh, keeping the portfolio short term, hoping they'll rise and then economy co- COVID sorts itself out or sell, take the six, eight percent and go straight back to the drawing boards? Uh, My thought was to hold out, not invest any more money, keep learning, listening to your podcast, reading, et cetera, then hopefully sell, making any profit I can, and then reinvest that with all of my new knowledge. I appreciate that there's a lot of variables considering for you to give advice, the amount of companies, et cetera, but any advice you would provide would be much appreciated. Thank you. Regards, Ben. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Ben's fantastic question?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And What I like about this question is how he realized, A, first he took he took action and he just dove right in. And I love that. And I did it. I know Dave did it too. And that's really how you have to get started. And then as you kind of get more experience, you start to realize what you don't know maybe. And it sounds like he's feeling that a little bit. But I would say, based on what Warren Buffett has said, I think he put it nicely one time when he said something like he he evolved his strategy from being somebody who really picked a lot of cheap stocks to picking better stocks that were maybe a little bit more expensive, but they were just really, really good businesses. But so this was like a huge transition for him and it kind of defined his investing career. But when he describes how he did that, he describes how it was an evolution and it took place over a long period of time and it it wasn't immediate. And so when you look at building a portfolio, I think looking at it in the same way where you're just building these little building blocks and it's like this staircase and you're just putting a brick and a brick and a brick and a brick. You don't just want to knock out the whole staircase and start new somewhere else, particularly when you're talking about the stock market because First of all, if you sell everything all at once, now you're going to have a whole portfolio of cash that you need to allocate. And like I've said several times in the podcast through the archives, is you're not going to have a great idea every single month. And if you like, you're just not going to have 20 great ideas in a month. That's just not reasonable. And so you really just need to space things out. And I think when, if I were to inherit, a portfolio that I didn't like and I want to improve that portfolio obviously and change it with stocks that I've done a lot of research on that I feel really good about for the very, very long term. So say I were to inherit this portfolio. Well, what you would not want to do is just do a clean slate and then start over because to replace, I think to, to build a solid portfolio, it just, it takes time, especially if you're going to do the research. And so, I think, you know, and maybe I'm wrong and, and maybe his portfolio really is this bad, but I think he can take his time. You know, maybe maybe uh, you take a month and you look at three of the stocks in there and, and you get to know them really deeply and you're like, you know, this one actually isn't that bad. Maybe I'll hold on to it for a while, but you know, this one does not have a future at all. So maybe I'll sell this one. And I've also done some research and I have something that's really really a good opportunity that can replace it and and you just kind of go through that process almost like you're bu- you're building one from scratch but you don't want to start from scratch because you're going to have that big money problem of you just can't have that many good ideas all at once when you're first starting out so that's kind of how i would look at it i think it's good to to prune that portfolio improve on it over time but i mean let's let's be real just because You've realized that you, you're going to make more of an effort to research and, and to become more knowledgeable. It doesn't mean you're going to attain all that knowledge all at once. So, you know, just because you're saying it's going to happen tomorrow, it's not necessarily going to happen. It's going to take you time. So, why don't you scale and and really turn that portfolio over and and do that makeover over time as you pick up more knowledge, more skills, and you see more opportunities that spring up too. Those are all things that happen over time, whether you're talking about opportunities or you're talking about good investing skills, whether you're talking about good knowledge to find those opportunities, all of that takes time. And so take time with it. And I think it's fine to, to have some, as long as the portfolio is diversified, to have some less than ideal positions as you work more carefully to build that staircase moving forward.
0: That's fantastic advice, and I would agree with everything that Andrew said. Uh, The only couple things that I guess I would probably add from my viewpoint would be to think about, first of all, that if any of the companies that you have bought are not doing as well as you think they should, or as you learn more about them, you can use them as learning examples, because nothing is going to focus your attention and your interest more when you have skin in the game. So when you have the money that you've worked hard for and you've bought those companies and they are not doing as well as you think they should, or if as you learn more about them, as Andrew was recommending, that you don't see that they have long-term potential, you can also use that information as a way of learning so that the next time you pick something, you can think about the circumstances that led you to pick it the first time and maybe what went wrong and why it wasn't working. And I think one of the things that probably isn't talked about enough is the opportunity to learn from our mistakes. And I think that's one of the greatest ways to learn. I'm not saying that we should all go out and make mistakes. Uh, Lord knows I've made my share of them. But the Cool thing about those is if you reflect on those, there is a lot of education and a lot of growing and a lot of knowledge you can gain from any mistakes that, that we do make. And the trick is to try to learn from those and not repeat those same kinds of mistakes. I'm certainly not saying that Ben made any mistakes, but he's feeling like that maybe he kind of jumped the gun. And I echo what Andrew was saying that I applaud him for diving in and taking the plunge because that's often the hardest part to investing and starting out investing is to just take the plunge and go for it. And then once you get your feet wet, then you can start branching out. And the other thing that I'd like to mention as well is all the things that Andrew was talking about are a form of compounding and the knowledge that you gain from listening to the podcast, reading books, observing anything that's going on in the markets, watching the news, any of those kinds of things, reading a newspaper, anything that that comes across your path is just another opportunity to compound that wealth. And the more that you use the language that you're learning, the, the more deeply embedded it's going to become. And the more it will make sense to you and you'll understand it. Uh, the thing that I always try to Remember whenever I'm trying to learn something new, uh, is a couple things. One, it's, it's a new language. It really is. So learning all the different ins and outs of finance and the metrics and the terminology, it, it's like learning a new language. It's, it's obviously not maybe as hard as learning a foreign language, but it's, it's certainly l- learning a new language. And the other part of it is, is you can't learn it all at once. It's kind of like eating a pizza. Everybody loves pizza. I know I do. It's for me, one of the seven food groups, <laughs> uh, pizza, 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 pizza. And so, uh but we can't eat it all at once. We have to eat it piece by piece. And you have to, you have to think about this as well. It, it does take time to learn all these things, but you can do it. And, as you eat each piece of pizza, it becomes better and better. Same thing with the knowledge. The more that you work at this, the, the, the more it's going to stick with you and you'll become a lot better investor. And that's really what it takes is just, is just time and patience.
1: Time and patience. Very well said. Would you like to share a time where you had to take one of your mistakes and, and use it as a learning lesson? To well, give? Sure. And Yeah. Give them, give them some encouragement for... For t- having that courage to realize that you know maybe his portfolio needs some improvements.
0: Well, absolutely. Um, so I will talk about a company that I bought and sold because basically my whole idea around the company was wrong, and that company was GameStop. And so this was pre, <laughs> this was pre, if you know, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, now that we're recording this episode, this was actually a few years ago. So this is long before all the the chaos that went on in the markets uh, a couple weeks ago. So a couple weeks ago GameStop came across my radar and it looked like it was from the financials of looking at the company that it looked like it was beaten down for really kind of no good reason. And it was it turned out to be at for me it turned out to be a bit of a value trap. So I bought it, I think around, I want to say $16. And it did go up to around 30 bucks at one point, but then it dropped back down to 16, not too long after that. And then it proceeded to fall even farther from there. And so I think I got out around probably 10 bucks or so ish or so. So I didn't, I didn't lose my shirt on it by any means, but I did, I did lose money and it just, it, it proved to me that, I needed to think a little deeper about my thesis. And my thesis was, is that the company was going through a transition. And the transition for me was with the advent and increasing dominance of Amazon and Walmart and any of the other online retailers that were really sprouting up around that time, that GameStop really didn't have a presence in that Market, I guess. And so they were kind of living on borrowed time a little bit and they were, they hadn't really pivoted and adapted their business model to meet the challenges of what was, what was really coming at them. And so they were trying to pivot to more of a used game scenario as well as collectibles. And I thought based on everything that I was reading about the management and their plans and some of the things that I had seen in the financials over the last couple quarters led me to think that they were going to be able to pull this off. Meanwhile, they had a fantastic balance sheet. They had almost no debt. Uh, they paid a great dividend. They were, I think, triple B rated. So They had a lot of great financial stuff going on for them. But the simple fact of the matter is, is they weren't bringing enough revenue. And eventually it doesn't matter how great your balance sheet is. If you don't have enough revenue, eventually that's going to start to affect you. And that's basically what it ended up happening to GameStop. And the market saw all those things and read the signs better than I did. And so that's kind of what happened to me
1: it's It's a good insight to bring, and there were a lot of things that took it down. It wasn't just Amazon and you had direct downloads from xboxes and and playstations yeah. and all of that and you know you couldn't have predicted the 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 way it fell and then also the way it popped recently and then fell again right just a just a crazy crazy experience and I think it's a good learning story for for a lot of us you know um, just to what I really like about your story in particular is is the focus on revenue and and how all of the numbers could tell you one thing but if there's a huge Goliath in the room and that would be less traffic to the malls plus because of Amazon plus the whole switch to digital that that could kill a really good Business that looks good from a numbers wise, you know, otherwise kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. And to me, it was
0: it was one of those, you know, siren songs that you just couldn't resist it. It kept coming up every single week in my screens and. I was familiar with the company because I had some friends that were gamers and they had talked to me about the company. And it just, it had all those earmarks of a company that Walmart, uh, that the Wall Street was overlooking. And I just, I just, you know, I, I just, I didn't I didn't think it through well enough. And all the things that you were talking about were just things I just didn't think were going to have as big an impact as they ended up having. And yeah, it was, you know, it was a mistake that I, I tried to learn from for sure.
1: What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Well, thanks for sharing that. That was, that was good to hear. Uh, let's move on to the next question says uh, This is from Adam. He says, Hi, I've been listening to your latest podcast episodes and I'm getting excited about investing. I am 37 and have never bought a stock. I have about $2,000 and I would like to invest now and possibly another $3,000 early spring. I set up an account with Fidelity to purchase stocks. I'm interested in lithium, especially the mining and manufacturing of it. So far, I think e- ticker ENS and ticker LAC would be a good choice. Do you think this market is worth getting into? Let's start with this first part of his question. What do you think, Dave?
0: Um, I think that lithium is a fascinating idea. So here is, here's what he's talking about. Lithium is one of the ingredients, the main ingredients in the lithium ion batteries that are sweeping the world. So lithium ion batteries are the the storage capacity for electricity for, in particular, electric vehicles, so the EV cars like Tesla, for example, as well as they're being used in the solar panels. They're also being used in the uh, wind turbines. So just about anything that generates electricity, they're using the, the new creations of these lithium-ion batteries as a means of storing the electricity. And it's a huge huge, I guess, potential market. And it's been exploding over the last year. COVID has really kind of, really kind of brought it to four and it's just really kind of exploded kind of along the lines with anything that has to do with an electric vehicle. Uh, Tesla obviously being the perfect example of that, but a side note with that, any lithium company that's associated with, with these batteries has, has exploded as well. So this is something that I looked into very deeply and I spent a lot of time thinking about it, reading about it. I've read through lots and lots of 10 Ks and 10 Qs as well as earning calls and watched videos on YouTube about how they produce lithium ion and it's fascinating. Uh, it was, it was fascinating stuff. So here's, I guess what I learned about them, um, I think it's a fantastic potential, and I think there is a lot of possibility of growth, as well as the, I guess I hate to use keepers and use potential, but there is there is a lot of potential with the with the electrification of everything that's going on right now, and lithium seems to be technology wise one of the ways that they're moving towards being able to capture holding and storing the electricity that's created. So one of the things that I discovered was that lithium is a lot of, a lot of cases is a liquid form. They use water to pump it out of the ground and it is mined and it's kind of fracked actually. And which is kind of interesting. And the two biggest sources of it were down in Chile and Argentina, as well as there are some, uh, deposits in Nevada, and they also discovered some in Indonesia as well as China. And so these are the places that they seem to be focusing on right now to pull the lithium out of the ground to make the batteries. So there's, it's it's a very expensive process. Uh, It also takes time. So here's the interesting thing about the lithium that I didn't really realize is so when they pull the lithium out of the ground, it's in a liquid form they have these huge pools that are open air and they basically have to let them dehydrate. So the water has to evaporate out of the iron ore or the lithium ore so that they can take the raw materials and then make the batteries out of them. So there are quite a few companies out there that are producing the lithium and LAC is one of the companies that he was talking about. That particular company, I did not, frankly look at very deeply uh, the company is based out of Canada and it's a smaller company and they've been around since I think 2007 and it looks it looks interesting and they have some interesting prospects uh, I think they have a mine down in Argentina as well as in Nevada so they they have a they have a stake in the two areas that are seem to be kind of the hottest areas for lithium. Uh, the company that I actually looked at the deepest and was really, really considering hard, uh, trying to basically justify how I could buy this thing was Albemarle, which is a mining company. And they are one of the largest mining companies of lithium in the world. Uh, the largest one is, I'm going to butcher the name, so I'm not even going to try, but the, ticker is SQM, and that company is based out of Chile. And they are the largest, and Albemarle is, I believe, the second largest. And the interesting thing about lithium right now is there's a huge demand for it. And lithium is a commodity. So the prices of lithium float all over the place. So when you're going to invest in a company with lithium, you have to pay attention to not only the company itself, but you also have to pay attention to the raw material that they're mining and selling because that has a bearing on what kind of revenue the company is going to generate. Now, as the lithium batteries get more and more, uh, not costly, but as they get, as the prices on un- batteries come down, the prices of the commodity is going to come down, which is putting pressure on the revenues of companies like Albemarle, for example. Now, Albemarle right now is actually currently at capacity. They literally cannot make any more lithium-ion to make the batteries they have two mines that they are working on right now that are scheduled to come online i believe one is this year and one is next year but don't hold my feet to the fire on that but they are very soon and that will help them double their production over the next several years which is going to be awesome for them but the only problem is is that the price is really up there so it's gone up i believe a mere 100 percent this year (laughs) and it's selling for about 150 bucks a share which in and of itself doesn't mean much, but the PE on the company is a little over 50 and that's just a little too rich for my blood. But, uh, lithium is, it's, it's an exciting thing to look at. And I looked very hard at, at solar panels and at wind turbines and the batteries and everything, because I really think that that is the way of the future. But I think I'm a little behind the curve on that to find companies that would be, for me, would be in the price point that I would want them at. So I guess that's a little bit of my thought on lithium. Did you have anything you would like to add on lithium? (laughs) How could I follow that up?
1: (laughs) Uh, You know, what's funny and frustrating at the same time is I remember when we first started having the conversations about lithium and that was right about the time that Arbam was, its sticker ALB, I think, yep. just started shooting up through the roof. And then by the time either of us could get some decent research in about it, it was already at that crazy PE. Yeah. But it was reasonable, like a couple months before that. Right. Exactly. So it's like, ah, just, <laughs> just but, um, you know, I, I I
0: honestly don't really know that deeply anything about LAC, but I do know that lithium, I think is, is got some potential. And if the market corrects at all, I do have Albemarle on my wish list. So if it ever does correct it and, and it, and it does drop, I will be pouncing all over that. Believe you me. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to nerd wallet. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top rated personal finance app. And right now get an extended 30 day free trial. When you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners, that's monarchmone com slash beginners for your extended 30 day free trial.
1: <laughs> if I don't get there first, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> just kidding. I do, I do have some experience with ticker ENS, so I can talk about that. So ENS is a battery manufacturer. Um, The company is called Enersys. And I held them for some time. And it just so happened that when I held the company, it was a very rough time as far as the stock market went for this company. And a problem with them is, is though they have a little bit of exposure to lithium batteries, most of their product portfolio is still based in lead acid batteries, which, you know, have do not have a good reputation as far as the fact that it's difficult to recycle and it's it's um toxic and and has the, the type of chemical chemistry <laughs> it's not really, I guess, a good way to say it, but the chemical chemistry um to make it not 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 something that people are really looking to invest in. You know, when you contrast that to something like uh renewable energy or clean clean energy green energy all of that stuff um leads like on, completely on the other opposite spectrum of that now to be clear just because a battery is lithium doesn't make it better than lead there's a lot of different applications for batteries and so that's why in certain applications lead tends to be better and in other applications the lithium is is the better one like in electric vehicles um and so you know it's it's tough to say with with this business I know with with EnerSys they have they have potential as well they have some prospects up the line they have even a play in the 5G small boxes they they made a special partnership with another company so they are part of the 5G infrastructure rollout um for me you know I guess I got impatient with the fact they weren't paying a dividend I also had other opportunities elsewhere. So I'm not going to knock anybody who, who looks at the stock like this. Just thought I would explain why it wasn't for me and maybe some aspects of the company that if it piques your interest, it's, it's worth taking a look into. And I believe it's still trading at a pretty, pretty low valuation compared to some of its traditional metrics. So it could be interesting for somebody who doesn't mind the, um, Flat dividend and 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 thinks that the application for the for the the batteries will stay fine and the demand will be there for these lead acid batteries and won't be supplanted by lithium. And you know when it comes to that kind of stuff, when you talk about materials and technology and everything, you get people who are just so intimately passionate about saying one thing's going to replace the other. And really, as investors, we really don't know what the answer is, and so it kind of goes back to the whole idea of diversification and just making your best guess. Because you know, sometimes uh, you have a great insight, and and you know, like like Dave, you you had a great insight on one of the insurance companies, a, a bank company, a regional bank, and both those just went through the roof, right? And then on the other hand, you have like a company like GameStop where all of these companies kind of look the same from a numbers perspective. Some of them work out, some of them don't. So when it comes to revolutionary technology like batteries, you really don't know what the future is going to hold and and which materials will go where. But it is nice to get exposure. And that's kind of why we always go back to this Idea of margin of safety and circle of competence because you want to understand enough about the business to know exactly what makes your investment thesis better than the alternatives. And then you also want to play pay a decent price just in case you're wrong. And if you continue doing that, you're increasing your chances of, of having great success because statistically, when you, when you buy undervalued stocks, you do better. So that's kind of the a long-winded answer to that. Did you have anything else to add uh, before we answer the second part of his question? The only thing,
0: I, I agree with all the things you were saying. I think those that's fantastic guidance. I, the, the other thing I would, would want to say about lithium is the technology is changing and there is a lot of interest now in solid-state lithium batteries, which apparently have a higher density u- energy usage as well as the possibility of longer uh, charge, uh, holding a charge longer. So in in other, in other words, enabling a car to drive farther on a charge than is currently available right now. So that's a technology that is starting to get some traction and that will have an impact on the lithium industry. Uh, the other thing that I would talk about with the lithium in- industry as well, and this is something I didn't really dive into, but I think would be a possibility of something is the recycling of these batteries. So at some point, all this interest in electric vehicles is going to produce a lot of lithium batteries or any other kinds of batteries that they produce. And those batteries will not last forever. And someday they will need to be recycled in some way, shape or form. And so I would think that there would be a company or two or six that will be out there that will be looking to capitalize on that. Market, and I don't know what they are, but I think that if this is something Adam is interested in, that it might bear some fruit to look into that a little bit.
1: It, yeah, that's great advice as well. Really fascinating stuff. It's, it obviously took a, a very deep dive into that industry. Yes, very deep. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, you'll enlighten us again in the future. Let's let's answer the second part of Adam's question here. He says. The other thing that interests me is the digital advertising industry. I think ticker TTD would be a good choice. Do you think this market is worth getting into? I look forward to your new podcast. Keep them coming.
0: Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I know did we do about TDD, and I think this would be a good one for Andrew to talk about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't have a special insight into this one. I wasn't able to take a deep dive on this. Um, I haven't had opportunities recently In the particular niche that TTD covers. So TTD is the company name is the trade desk. And so they're basically involved with advertising, display advertising. Um, you know, think mobile phone pop-ups, things of that nature. So something about TTD, they mentioned in their 10k how they compete with small companies and some big companies like AT&T, Google, Adobe. So. Something like an environment like that might be difficult to analyze, and it's something I get the sense that you need to have a a strong grasp on what goes on and kind of what drives that business, what makes them better than another business, and so whether that's from having worked in the industry or maybe just being like a a very observant consumer and knowing like where their advertisements tend to to pop up those are all things that can, that can help give you insight into whether this particular investment would be a good investment or not. I know from a numbers perspective, it's very obviously a growth company. They are growing revenues like a weed. Um, and they're obviously investing their free cash flows for the future, which I think is great. But they're also extremely expensive compared to any metric you want to look at. So you have, if you're investing in the stock now at the price they're at, you would have to assume that you are getting a lot of this growth for quite a while in order to justify the, the, um, the investment. And that might be the right answer for you or not. It really depends on how comfortable you are with what the company does. And something I did see, they, they don't have any debt on their balance sheet. So, it appears that they are funding this thing primarily with, with their own free cash flows, which is fantastic. As far as wanting exposure to something with digital and digital marketing, I think that has a lot of potential and I don't see marketing going away. It does seem like it's making a shift away from some of the traditional marketing things like you know, traditionally you always spent a lot on television advertising or radio advertising and now obviously we have social media advertising you have this display advertising like the trade desk does and you know you have the social media advertising too so i don't i think it's a a interesting thing to be exposed to but i also think there's a lot of interesting things to be exposed to in the business world in general and so um i'm not going to make a An opinion whether this particular stock is a buy or not, but those are just some thoughts to kind of push you along to thinking whether it's, you know, what you're going to look for and how you're going to build confidence in, in an investment like that. Well said. So we're gonna go ahead and do the last question here. so this one comes from Brandon. He says, big fan of the podcast. I work in the finance industry. I love to listen to your podcast. I find it very informative and refreshing. I was recently listening to the episode that discusses that discusses bond allocations. I find it interesting you all recommended bond e t f s Are you saying you would prefer a passive bond strategy over an active strategy? In my experience, bonds are way more hands on than stocks. I always prefer to use an active manager. Love to hear your thoughts. So Dave, what are your thoughts?
0: Well, uh, I, well, first of all, Brandon, we, I, we appreciate you listening to us and that's a big kudos from the finance industry. So, uh, it's, it's uh, that's very humbling to, know that somebody from the finance industry is listening to what we have to say. So I appreciate that. So here's my thoughts on the bond allocation. Yeah. The bond allocation, the reason why I am recommending bond ETFs. And that's why what I try to work with majority of the time is because of the simple fact that I and probably the majority of the people that listen to me don't have $10,000 to $100,000 to drop on buying a bond or two. From a corporate bond, uh, we just don't have. I, I'm not playing with that kind of money, so for me, working with bond ETFs just works better. Uh, it gives me the exposure to the bonds that I want. It also gives me an allocation of different kinds of bonds. So, if even if I did only have a hundred thousand dollars, I still would only be able to buy maybe one corporate bond from Microsoft for example which would not be a horrible thing but the flip side of that is i i get zero diversification i get zero other choices to cho- pick and choose from the different things that i would want to use and anybody that that listens to our show if they are playing in the same range that i am are going to i think be able to afford investing in a bond ETF and i just think that you know for for us, I think, just feel like as beginners and people that are starting out in, in the industry, I feel like it's a little bit easier for us to access those. There's more information available for us to be able to use them, and they're also a little bit less risky as well. So uh, I would agree with you if, if I had a lot of money and I was really playing with the big boys with bonds, I would much rather do more of an active strategy and and pick individual bonds and do it that way just like i do with stocks but i just i'm not in that ballpark so that's why i have recommended bond bond etfs and that's why i have talked about them in the past uh but of course you know i'm not perfect and if there are other options out there that are better i of course i'm always all ears and eager to learn anything that anybody else might have that would they think would be a better choice but at least for me that's what i've found has worked best for me and for the people that, that listen to any of the guidance that I might give them. Good answer. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversation for this evening. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to write us those fantastic questions. Uh, You guys are stretching us and making us think. So I love that and keep them coming. So we appreciate it. So if there's anything you guys have questions about, please do not hesitate to reach out and we will do our best to answer them on the podcast or send you an email back. So hope you guys are doing well and staying safe. Please remember our motto, go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week.
1: We hope you enjoyed this content, seven steps to understanding the stock market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.
0: Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family